opinions expressed on ACV Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Do you love to read but struggle to see print? Bookshare is a nonprofit ebook library that makes reading easier for people with low vision or blindness. Members can read in ways that work for them with ebooks in audio, large print, and digital braille. Get unlimited access to over 1 million titles, including New York Times bestsellers, periodicals, upskilling books, and more. Bookshare is free for New York Public Library patrons or U.S. students with a qualifying disability. For more information, visit Bookshare.org today. Hello, this is Dan Spoon, President of the American Council of the Blind. I just want to give a big hip, hip, hooray out there to our tremendous membership that does such a great job. Join me, Brian McCallan, on Speaking Out for the Blind. I interview blind newsmakers to inspire the population to go for their dreams. Speaking Out for the Blind airs Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media One. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McKellen. The BBC reports that a visually impaired university student from Guernsey, English Crown, has been working with an archaeology team to excavate an 8th century monastery. The student was part of the University of Reading archaeology team digging up the Anglo-Saxon site in Cookham, Berkshire, England. That student's name is Jonathan Charmley. Jonathan joins us to talk about these special digs. Hi, Jonathan. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, um, where do you go to school? So, I'm a uh, undergraduate student at the University of Reading, studying archaeology. Oh, cool. So, how did you speak out to uh, study archaeology and then work with this archaeology team and excavate this eighth-century monastery? So I've always had an interest in archaeology, and in 2019, I started my university degree studying archaeology. Um, and as part of that, we have to go on a field school. So we learn and learn skills in the classroom, and then during the summer in a four-week block, we go and excavate an archaeological site. And in this case, I got to be part of the team at Cookham. Oh, that's marvellous. Has this been a big experience for you? It's been a fantastic experience for me getting to get into the field, find brand new archaeology that hasn't been seen for 1200 years. It just really blows my mind that I get to do this. So how do you actually conduct, do these digs blind? So um, I'm very lucky that archaeology isn't just all sight. It's also you, you listen and you can feel the difference in the soil when you're troweling. So uh, different soil types, whether that's clay or sand, has different sounds. And also they're compacted differently, so that sounds different when we're scraping. But archaeology is also a, teams, a team event. So I worked with quite closely with a group of people, double-checking each other's work, making sure that we weren't destroying any archaeology and that everything was going correctly. So using other senses, but also being part of a team. How did you become blind? So in around Easter, April the 2nd of 2021, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor that impacted my left optic nerve. So I've got no peripheral vision in my 
left eye and pinhole blurry vision in my in what's left of that eye and sadly during the second operation i had they bruised something called the third nerve for my right eye which means the eyelid is shut and also it's if you were to lift the eyelid it's pointing out to the side and the pupil is fully open so that was a risk i knew i took and i i'd much rather have lost my eyesight than be be uh have a brain tumor in my head mm. uh did they ever take the tumor out they took as much of it out as they could. However, there was some that they couldn't remove. Just It was far too risky. So I then had six weeks of radiotherapy at a hospital in Manchester called Christie. Oh, uh, radiation treatment. Yes, a type called proton beam therapy. Yeah, because that's what we call it here in America. Yes, so this is more advanced than conventional radiotherapy, which goes in one side and out the other, whereas protons, they can stop it. And so, which is really useful when you're conducting radio, radiation treatment around the brain. Um, so there are only two places in the UK that do it. So I was very lucky to be accepted on and receive this treatment. What two places are those? Just out of curiosity. Um, there's one in London that opened, I'm going to say, two years ago, maybe a year. It's very new. And the Christie up in Manchester, which has been going when I was having my treatment there in September, October of 2021, they were having their three-year review. So this is very new to the UK. So let's get back to um, the, these digs for a second. So uh, why did you and the University of Reading archaeology team decide to dig up the Anglo-Saxon site? Why the Anglo-Saxon site close to Trinity Church, Holy Trinity Church in Cook and Berkshire, England? So we knew there was a site, um, uh, an important monastic site in Cookham due to some of the, rec the written records, but that site had been lost and there were two potential locations as to where it could be so in 2021 that was when the first series of trial excavations took took part and managed to find some really really crucial finds that indicated to us that this is the full-on site but we needed to go on and do some larger scale excavations so we went at, back the year after in 2022 did some full-scale excavations. We opened up a, I think it was a 30 by 30 meter trench. So that is big to see what we found. We found a well and signs of inhabitants. And this year we carried on going deeper into the ground and opened up a new trench where we found a Anglo-Saxon cemetery. So it's using, it's, it's in essence, detective work that we've found this site big time detective work how did you get into archaeology and why did you decide to study it so i have always loved history however what's what what i particularly like about history is the hands-on part of it there the, the ability to hold history in your hand and there was a program in the UK called Time Team, which is an archaeological show where each week they would go to a different place and do an archaeological dig. And I was hooked on that. So I then kept exploring that avenue, volunteering at my local archaeology department. And when I came time to choose my major, I decided to do archaeology. Mm, okay. Is this, is this Time Team show still on? 
I well. think I think it has been rebooted. So there was a period of time where it was off air, but they have rebooted it. I'm not which, sure how which long. Which British before. network aired it? I think originally it was on a network called Channel Four. Oh, Channel Four UK. Yes, Channel Four UK. Um, I can't tell you off the top of my head what what network it's on now. However, there are other archaeological programs such as Digging for Britain, which actually last year came to Cookham and did an episode at Cookham. Uh, gotcha. Wow. All right. Um, so you and the team found that this Cookham Monastery was both a religious and social hub. What sort of evidence did you all find to back this up? So we first of all, we found buildings. We found, uh, for the time, a very large domestic building with hearth in the middle along with other finds such as cooking pots that would have been you or fragmentary remains of cooking pots that would have been used to cook with we've found the cemetery but also we found some very very expensive finds including some decorated glassware which for the anglo-saxon periods it was very 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 expensive so not many sites would have had the wealth to be able to afford this site afford afford the glass um so that was one of the indicators that gave us that told us that this was potentially a site of importance but also its location on the boundary between two kingdoms the kingdom of mercia and wessex which is the river thames because rivers are nice big obvious and you can't move them in the middle of the night so that is why it's a big site for religious reasons but also there would have had to be an entire economy that supported the monastery because the nuns wouldn't have worked the fields done the done the metal work the the, uh the baking they would have done their job and there would have been jobs that supported the, the monastery so we found evidence of that who did you present these findings to so we're currently in the middle of what we call post-excavation work. So once we've dug everything up, we then had to go through a period of preservation, um, con- conservation, and then writing it up. And in the end, I believe the fact is to pr- present it in both a written academic work, but also we are currently working on potentially going into schools to teach about what was going on in local history. So you're still a graduate student, correct? Yes. So I'm in my third year, my final year of studying, um, and I'm loving it. One more year, then then congratulations, you've got your master's. And so um, what, what, what do you want to do with your master's degree in archaeology? Do you so, think um, you want to un- become... Undergraduate degree in archaeology. Oh, oh wait. wait. Wait, wait, wait. Graduate degree is in... you got to clear this would... up for me. So I'm studying a uh, Bachelor of Arts in Archaeology. I've not yet um, graduated from that yet. Okay, Um, you're still an undergrad. Still an undergrad. Sorry for the confusion. It's okay. It's all right. So, so you, so you're gonna. So this is your third year. You'll have graduated with your undergrad, and then are you gonna go on for your masters, or are you gonna go and get your first job? Maybe, but or. If if the opportunity comes to me, I'd love to work in public engagement 
telling people about the past through objects, through what we leave behind, which I absolutely love doing. One of my favourite things that I did on site was doing site tours and watching small children's eyes light up as they hold a simple bit of pottery that was 1,200 years old, and I want to do that more. I think the kids will love that. Uh, would you work for an archaeology museum? I would. I would work for an archaeology museum. I would work for anyone who wants me in that role, um, potentially museums such as the British Museum. That would be a, a really, really cool place to work. All right. Cool. Um, so do you eventually want to become one of the first visually impaired ar archaeologists one day? Yes. Um, I know there are other visually impaired archaeologists out there. However, what I'm really, really privileged to be in this position is thanks to this dig in the University of Reading is I'm able to shout it from the rooftops, being able to hopefully inspire other visually impaired archaeologists both here and in America to follow archaeology and to say that even though you're visually impaired, you can do it. So I'm just incredibly lucky that I'm in a position where I can be an ambassador for blind archaeology. Have you met these other blind archaeologists? Not yet. I would love to. Um, I read a report from a UK charity called the Thomas Pockleton Trust, who followed, who helped a uh, undergraduate archaeology student up in Manchester. And I know I've been told that about 10 years ago, the University of Reading had another visually impaired archaeologist come through and complete their degree. However, I think we're in the minority of people who do archaeology degrees. Okay. Um, so in your cl archaeology classes, how do you get help in the classroom, like with your textbooks, with your materials, being blind? How do you do your schoolwork? So when it comes to doing the reading, I'm lucky that I, I, I digitize most of my works and put it, and I have some incredible software called Dolphin, which puts it, which converts text to speech. So instead of doing reading, I do listening and write notes based off of that. And in lectures, because I've got a, a bit of eyesight, I get sent the lecture slides in advance. So when they're up on the screen, they're blurry. I can't see them. But if I've got them on my computer, I can blow them up, enlarge it so that I can actually see what the text is about. Same with any worksheets that are handed out. When uh, so, so you digitize the books yourself. You don't get like disabled student services to help you. You do it all yourself. A lot of the things that I use are already digitized, and I do if I need some books digitized. Sometimes I do it myself because it's sometimes easier just to snap a photo and upload it that way. Um, but for more lengthy texts or for the set readings, if they are. If they'd have to, if they're only available in text form, my lecturers do scan it for me, which I'm really thankful for. So, um, why did you choose specifically the University of Reading for its archaeology program? So, um, in the UK, we have a system called UCAS, which is the university um, portal we apply to, and they were my fourth choice. I got sent a letter inviting me to come visit, personalised, written just to me. So I thought I'd be polite, go and visit. Fell in love with the campus. It is the 
lovely, beautiful and green. Went to the department. They were all lovely. The courses sounded fantastic. And then they also said the magic words, which sealed the deal in the fact that we have no exams. And as someone who hates exams, that was a big tick in the box. Really? You guys don't have to take any tests? So there are some tests we do, but they're they're not sit down for three hours and write what you know about this subject. Um, With our assessments, they try to prepare us for the real world. And in the real world, you're not going to be sat, you know, asked to regurgitate as much information as you can about <laughs> about the Battle of Gettysburg in one in, in three hours. You're more likely to be asked to research and write a report or do presentations. Oh, gotcha! Those we final do, projects, I see. And okay. we do do we do do some tests which are more archaeological based so for one of our bones modules one of the assessments is we've got to go in and identify bones which in the real world if you were to become a bone specialist you'd be asked you'd be given some bones and go identify it so we have to do that which i'm not doing because i'm not a bones person however it is a key skill to learn so there what we do is has a purpose for the for future employment for the workforce there you go that's great um so what do you uh tell our listeners who want to become archaeology archaeologists one day or who just want to get into archaeology work what advice do you offer them it is absolutely fantastic it's hard work it's particularly field archaeology however don't don't let that put you off it if you really love it. And to part of being an archaeologist is working as a team where I may lack some skills. For example, I really struggled telling the different colours of the soil. I could, I was really, really good at telling how its composition, how sandy, how gravelly it felt, which is part of what we have to study. And those skills that you have to focus on because you don't have sight can be really, really useful and can be used. So just, just go for it. Just give it a try. What's, what's uh, the usual commitment like for working in archaeology? Do you work days, nights, weekends, or just days and then go to sleep? So um, at the archaeological field school, so this is field archaeology, we worked, we started at around 9, 9.30, finished off at 5 with two tea breaks and a lunch break. That is not just digging, but also filling out the paperwork that we have to do. Um, Paperwork? Yes, paperwork. So (laughs) as, as with, I think, every part of life, the 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 glamorized Hollywood version of archaeology always ties out. You don't see Indiana Jones filling out paperwork. So what we have to once we only have one shot at archaeology. Once we've dug it, we can't we can't do it again because the soil has been moved, the finds have been moved, and it's taken in our case twelve hundred years to get to the state it's in. So we have to record every everything that we do so that we can when we're back in the labs we can write it back up accurately or future archaeologists can look at what we've done and how we do it um and for that i actually had 
enlarged paperwork. So my paperwork was blown up, which was really, really useful. That's very nice. Um, yeah, so, so you do get a couple of breaks for lunch and tea, and then you finish around 5 o'clock. Now, so it's it, you know, it's an average work day. Average work day. Okay. Is this every day or weekdays, like Monday through Friday? Normally, it's uh, Monday through Friday at the field school because we had such a short time and so much archaeology. We worked Monday through Saturday with Sunday off. Um, but normally, it's Monday through Friday. Okay. All right. Um, so then, uh, after you do these archaeological digs, you must have to write reports on it, what you found, right? Yes, and that is that is a long that's a long long process, as we've got <laughs> to send finds away to specialists to tell us exactly what they are, to you know to to artists so that they can all be illustrated nicely, to and then they've got to be the data's got to be analysed and written up. I know I'm not in the post excavation process <laughs> for Cookham. Um, Partly because I'm still learning my craft, but partly because we have other volunteers who are helping us with that. And then that will be done and I think written up by the by the head of the field school, Professor Gabor Thomas. I think that'll be his job at the end of the at the end of the excavations, but that's a good way off. Um uh, tell us about some of the uh professors that you've been working with on these digs and how they just what kind of archaeology experience they have and, and just how they bring it to that work. So I was lucky enough to work with a lot of, in this case, um, doctoral students and professors who have spent time in the industry being professional archaeologists. That was their day job. And they brought in a lot of experience and a lot of tips and tricks that help for for some of us there it was our first time holding a trowel so we had no idea what we were actually doing so to have that level of experience was really really useful and it was also a nurturing environment we we, we made mistakes but it was okay for us to make mistakes because we were beginners and we learnt. and by the end of it we were i think it's fair to say a well-oiled machine of archaeologists and that was headed up by Amanda Clark, who is our fantastic head of field school. So she was looking after the teaching us and assessing us on our excavation. And we also have Professor Gabor Thomas, who is responsible for the excavation and the archaeology. So we have a fantastic team at the University of Reading, which is absolutely amazing. This is all great. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Just a big thank you to the University of Reading for helping me do this, for taking me on this journey. And if your listeners would like to find out more, there's the Friends of Cookham Abbey available at www.cookhamabbey.org.uk. We have, and also the University of Reading and the archaeology at the University of Reading is available on all the socials. So if you want to follow what the archaeology department is doing on a more day-to-day or any special projects that we're doing in the wider archaeological sphere follow us and getting if you're really really interested get in touch jonathan keep us informed about your archaeological findings they're looking great thanks for joining us today thank you
Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website at speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under lists of episodes and show news tab. In my show archives at speaking-out-for-blind.pinecast.co. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out. This is Dave from the Dave Matthews Band for Rad. When you go out and party, get drunk, then drive, you're not only loaded, you're a loaded weapon. When you celebrate, designate. Choose a designated driver. Remember, music lives and so should you. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, Rad, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. You are listening to ACB Media One, also known as Mainstream, the flagship of the ACB Media Network. The ACB Media Network is a service of the American Council of the Blind. Please visit us at acbradio.org.